Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. It is great to have your company just gone midday Eastern Standard Time. That means it is time for the call. One hour dedicated purely to the share market and uh, what you should buy, what you should sell, what you should hold. We have two experts on our panel. We've got 10 stocks to get through. We do it all in 60 minutes and we do it each and every weekday here between 12 p.m. and 1 Eastern Standard Time. And uh, two of my favourite experts on the panel today. I love it because they lock horns and have very different ideas on uh, how to invest. And that makes us all think, which is wonderful. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial is here in the studio. Michael, good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. And uh, also Andrew Page uh, via Skype from Strawman. Uh, Andrew, congratulations, a big milestone for Strawman this week, your 9,000th subscriber, which is fabulous. Well done. Yeah, thanks, Koshi. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're aiming for 10,000 by July, so if we can keep up the oh. momentum, we'll get there and, and the sky's the limit. Yeah, perfect. All right, mate. Uh, well done on that. And, you know, um, go and visit the Strawman site. It's um, almost Australia's biggest investment club um, and uh, full of great information to help you make the right decisions. Um, as I said, we uh, have 10 stocks to get through today, but I throw in one that is news of the day and uh, get the view of our experts. And really one of the ugly ducklings of the share market has been Boral over the last couple of weeks. Um, so it's our stock of the day. That's after seven group holdings, not seven West Media, seven group holdings, which is the, the good seven stock um, has taken. <laughs> A 10% stake in the building materials company um, on the back of, um, hopefully, the building stimulus from the, from the federal government and a possible breakup of the, the company. Confidence in Boral is extremely low after six profit downgrades in the past two years, even before the damage caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Chief Executive Mike Kane will also leave the company by August. Shares closed 6.3% higher on Tuesday at $3.53. Um, Michael, Boral has been a bit of an ugly duckling, hasn't it? Yes. Um, seven group holdings. Ryan Stokes runs that, That's right. taking a strategic interest in Boral. Is that good for the stock? Is it a, a bit of confidence in I it? I think it's a contrarian play, obviously, as you touched upon there, six downgrades in a row. And ever since Boral acquired that very large acquisition in the US in 2016. This share has been on the nose um, yep. and they've definitely struggled. So for Seven Group, they obviously own a big chunk or they own West Track, which is the um, Caterpillar mm-hmm. business, which supplies a lot of the different things to the mining companies. They've also got a few construction firms in there, other things like Coates Hire. So Boral in some sense isn't too far removed from some of those businesses. So. They can probably lend a board seat with Ryan Stokes, I think, going to sit on the board of Borrow with this acquisition. Um, they can also lend their expertise and potentially over time break up this company and extract some value there. So, look, I don't think it's the worst decision in the world. If I was looking to buy Borrow today as, as myself, as an individual, I probably wouldn't do it. But with the expertise and knowledge of 
seven holdings, I think it does make sense from them from a strategic perspective. Right, but you wouldn't be investing in it and following suit. Um, seven are doing it for the strategic alliance I think so. and possible breakup. I think so. They can unlock a bit of value there. They, right. They've got past history in these different areas. Obviously, there could be some tailwinds coming from the stimulus. But from my perspective, Boral took on a fair amount of debt uh, to take over that US business, which is yeah. almost as big as the domestic operations. The domestic operations in Australia for Boral always had fairly high margins. They were looking to go into the US and also try and expand the margins of their business in the US. And as it turned out, it just didn't quite go to right. plan. And they've run okay. into hurdles ever since. Uh, Andrew, what do you think of Boral? Yeah, I'm no great fan, um, and I think I think um, Michael's really hit the nail on the head there. In terms of you know this acquisition was a disaster, but you know statistically that tends to be the case. Koshi, when when you look at most acquisitions, and the academics have studied this very closely, you see about one third of them create value for shareholders, uh, one third very roughly do nothing, and then one third lose value. So the odds are against you. You know, there's only really a one in three chance that these acquisitions work out. Um, here's a here's a very classic example of, of where it didn't. Um, and so I think I think it's it's always it's always something you've got to be careful with. Yeah. Similarly, and, and related to that as well, you know, hope tends to spring eternal with you know an underperforming company. I mean, first first of all, Boral's in a, in a tough industry. We could talk about that all day long, but I think that's that's kind of evidenced in in when you look at the sector as a whole. But but potentially too not not the best management as well. So the hope here is you put someone who's a bit smarter in charge, extract a bit more value break that pizza up into various slices and, and somehow create something that's that's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, uh, again, the statistics would tell you that that doesn't always work out to plan. You bring in some very high paid consultants who will give you some wonderful presentations as to why this is fantastic. Um, they, they get their fee, but uh, shareholders don't always do well out of that. So I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, it would be a different story if you're talking about a wonderful high margin business with a long growth runway and very strong competitive positions, but it doesn't have any of that kind of stuff. So like Michael, I wouldn't be interested at all. I certainly wouldn't be interested just on the basis that there's a bit of stimulus money going to be thrown towards this sector. I mean, that is, you value companies on their lifetime value, not on what might or might not happen over the next year or two. So uh, I, I wish I wish Seven the best of luck, but it's a pass from me. Okay. All right. Let's get into our um, 10 stocks that you've suggested. The uh, first one up, has been suggested by Lily, one of our viewers. Thank you for that, Lily. Uh, Volpara Health Tech, a digital uh, health company focused on early detection of breast cancer by improving the quality of screening using artificial intelligence. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Volpara? Yeah, Lily's right to be interested in, in this stock. It, it's um, It's got a lot of things going for it. Um, one in four women in the U.S. who get a breast scan actually do it using uh, technology um, from Volpara, um, and there's a wow. very big market over there. And there's a this is this is another uh, the Kiwis do it really well. We we don't like to sort of give them too much credit, but but credit where it's due. Um, this is another really successful tech company that, that's that's um, come out from across the ditch there. It's one of these companies where I think the hard-nosed sort of value-focused investors will look at and say, wow, it's just been bleeding cash year after year after year, and it has. But this is going for a land grab here in a very large, very lucrative market. The top line has been growing incredibly strongly. Uh, they've got some pretty strong competitive advantages in their, their IP, which really is world-class, best in breed. And that that is evidenced mm. by the wins that they have they have had. You don't capture that much market share 
uh, when you don't have a very good product, particularly in the in the medical arena where the, the tenders are very, very highly scrutinized. It should be mentioned they took a very big acquisition recently, which, which boosted that. Um, but even prior to that, the organic growth was very, very, very strong. Uh, annual recurring revenue up 172% in the year just ended. Um, since this acquisition, they've maintained their costs. So the hope with these kinds of companies are is that they scale really well. So when you look at these through the traditional metrics, they always look expensive. But if this is a company when you sort of say, you know, um, can, they, can these guys capture a, capture a significant part of a very, very large and growing global market? Are there very significant value adds to that? And I would say with AI, absolutely. That's a buzzword, it is. But when it comes to imaging, that is AI's forte and there's great advantages to be had there. Um, I, I think it's got a lot of potential. It's ranked number 32 on Strawman. There are some concerns over valuation, um, notwithstanding what I, what I just said, so I don't hold it personally. But I think, it's, I think it's got a lot of potential. And I think if you are going to get involved in this one, this isn't something that you just hold for the next six to 12 months because it's a, it's a coin flip. And we know how volatile these kinds of stocks can be um, as sentiment changes. But if you're looking on a five-year horizon plus and you believe in the long-term story, there's a lot of value that could potentially be unlocked here. Okay. Michael? Yeah, I tend to agree um, with those sentiments. From our point of view, it's probably a, a speculative buy. Uh, yep. It's an enormous addressable market where they've got a very good foothold. Uh, and effectively, they're using artificial intelligence to identify those breast cancer screenings most at risk. So a lot of it comes down to their data set. There are competitors in this space, obviously. Um, long term, it's very difficult to work out who ultimately is going to be the winner. And a lot of it will come down to who has access to the best data and who can get their artificial intelligence program, if you like, to yeah. interpret that data as best as possible. The more images that they feed into that uh, artificial intelligence program, the better over time. Um, they have continually sort of exceeded expectations recently when it comes to recurring revenue growth, which is obviously a positive factor um, as well. They have had some issues with some of their non-core products and, and the New Zealand business was a bit underwhelming. And I suppose one negative, if you want to be ultra critical, is they've kept having to push out their break-even year. Right. And that tends to put some investors off over time. But in terms of a healthcare-related tech business, which is certainly a space that we um, have some positive uh, love for, if you like, yeah. um, positive affection for, because of there are definitely two sectors where there's natural momentum and, and natural growth. And I think Volpara is one of those companies that's doing a lot of good things mm. in a growing um, and big space. Okay, all right. So uh, speculative tech there from both, uh, from both Andrew and Michael. Um, our second stock, uh, Michael McPherson's, um, uh, a beauty and wellness retailer, um, yeah. focused on, um, um, not that I know many of these brands, Lady Jane and Swispers and Manicare. Manicare, yeah. I suppose that's the Boats one, is it? That's, I think, the nail clippers oh, and right, the nasal okay. hair. I think. All right, perfect. Um, what do you think of McPherson? It's a bit of a, like a, a motley crew of different brands that yeah. they've got there from everything we touched on there. Manicare, but also I think it's Multiplex, or not Multiplex, sorry, Multics. Right. which is basically the glad wrap and aluminium foil that you often oh. get when you're down at the, the supermarket. Um, so in recent times, I've had different parts of their businesses doing quite well during this COVID-19 period and other parts of their business struggling. The, um, the, the main key driver for this business going forward is actually their, their healthcare business, or, or not their healthcare business, sorry, their beauty care beauty, range yeah. of products, which they're looking to Glam. expand. I've heard of Glam as one of their brands. And, and I think it's Lowell or something like daughters. that as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Lewin, I think it Lewin. is. Lewin, Lewin, sorry, Lewin. that's it. 
So ba- look, obviously I know the business very well, but um, they, but basically but you that, just don't use the product. I just don't use the product. But basically, they're looking to get those beauty products into China, where they're seeing I think growth of around two hundred and fifty percent. Right. So that is obviously very good growth figures. Their Australian business is also doing quite well when it comes to the beauty range, oh. up about fifty percent. But then you've got all these other legacy brands which aren't growing as quickly. So right. you've got to take the good with the bad with this one. Um, it's difficult to work out how it's going to be impacted by the COVID long term. Um, obviously, things like loud wrap and foil have been well taken up when people yeah. might be scaling back on some of the, the beauty range. So for us, we'll, we'll be leaving this one. It's interesting to see yeah. how it goes. But it's one of a few businesses in Australia, BWX comes to mind, who are operating in this beauty range, sort of clean, green Australian beauty products that are getting a bit of a foothold in China. Mm. But Okay. Interesting to and, watch. And a big share price rebound. It's almost at record highs. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't be buying it, but yeah. um, it's something that's been caught our eye before. Uh, Andrew, has it caught your eye? Uh, no, it hasn't. Um, it's it's only because I'm, I'm pretty fussy when it comes to um, being an investor. Yeah, there's there's far worse companies out there, but this is, this is a very tough competitive space, um, the beauty product space. You know, you're up against some very, very massive global players with very deep products with much stronger brands, I would argue. Um, and you're dealing with an extremely fickle consumer. Um, and that's that's just a, not a comment on that particular market segment, but in terms of all of us as consumers, you know, that these, these things wax and wane. And um, yes, they've had some success in China off a low base and, you know, it's one of these companies, you open up the, the slide deck and it talks about how big the market is. And, you know, if only we could get 5% of the Chinese market, we'll all make a trillion dollars. And um, that is true, uh, but not many companies manage to achieve that. And not many companies manage to achieve that in a sustainable way as well. So um, it's just a lot of risk in there. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but notice when I had a quick squeeze at this before that sales are almost half of what they were seven years ago. They've been steadily declining ever since. It looks like they've had to really significantly rationalize that their product set and right size the business. So those strategic changes are always costly and drawn out and, and yep. always a painful process to go through. They're talking about maybe lifting their pre-tax profit by about 10% this year. And, and for that, the market's giving them a PE multiple of about 21. So in this yep. low interest rate environment, perhaps that's not, that's not a, a terrible uh, but look, 200 products they're, they're looking to launch this year. I guarantee you not all of them are oh. going to stick. One of them might be the next, I don't know, I don't know the industry well enough, but one of them might be the next thing, you know, and, and it goes to the moon and, and all these comments will look silly, but, but it, yep. is, it, is, it is high risk. And, and for that, it's, it's just all nothing right. that's going to crack. Okay. All right, Leonard, thank you for sending in that suggestion. Hopefully we've given you some good direction there. Uh, Richard has suggested... Our third stock out of the 10, um, Andrew, WPP, uh, big advertising creative agency across Australia and Asia. Um, 5,000 people working for them across 60 companies, over 120 offices throughout the region. It's, it's a big ad, ad, ad and creative agency. Uh, it, it is. Um, it's not one that's created much value for shareholders, so unfortunately... Um, you know, even before the virus, I mean, they've been hit by the virus. You can imagine a lot of companies yeah. are doing it very tough. So one of the first first things that gets cut is obviously the, the advertising budget. Um, they mentioned in a recent presentation that sales in April were down 22%. They're on track for a $10 million loss this year. They've canceled the dividend. Um, but even before this, you know, even before you go back to pre-COVID, you know, shares were still at a five and 10-year and, and low. 
um, sales, dividends, earnings, all falling over a multi-year period. Um, again, you, you've got to ask, I mean, one of the most important things to ask, I think, with a business is what's its competitive advantage? You know, what gives it pricing power? What gives it the ability to stand out and to be able to, to, to operate it at higher levels of profitability? And with this kind of space, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of very, very super clever people in this industry. The assets tend to be not, you know, a factory, but people that go up and down in the elevator and leave every day. So maybe that your best talent isn't there next week as well. So it's just a tough business. Um, it's a very tough industry. It's an industry that's radically changing too. You know, we've sort of gone mm. from, we're going from print media and more and more into digital. You look at these guys' um, uh, slide decks and it's all about sort of transforming to the new e-commerce digital sort of environment. And no doubt it's a big market. No doubt there's a lot of money to be made there, but it, it won't be easy. And the past track record doesn't really imbue you with confidence. So it's it's too risky for me. I'm, I'm yeah. not interested. Michael, what do you think? It's not one we've ever invested in. It's been around for a long time. I yeah. think it used to be the old STW Communications. They did a bit of a name change in the last couple of years. Um, just because you're big in this industry doesn't mean you've got a competitive advantage. It, it might smooth out your revenues and your earnings to some extent. Um, just because you've got a diversified revenue stream. But as the audience is often fickle, um, what might be in vogue one year might not be in vogue the other. There's obviously different mediums these days when it comes to, to advertising. Uh, and it's a very fiercely competitive industry. There are a number of smaller operations as well as larger operations. And I'm not sure that if you're looking to get a marketing agency on board, whether size really matters, it comes down to the creative elements. So. From our perspective, it's not a business that we would ever look at. Um, and it's look, had its troubles now for a number of years and continue to sort of erode shareholder value. Okay. All right. So I know for WPP, um, Michael ProMedicus, mm -hmm. leading uh, sort of an IT company, but in the health space, imaging, uh, radiology, IT software services to hospitals and healthcare groups around mm -hmm. the world. Um, bit of a been a bit of a darling of the call for a, yeah. a couple of weeks and its share price has really bounced. Well, it's had a bit of a bounce back. Probably yeah. that's why we actually put this one in one of our monthly reports in early 2018 when the share price was well below 10 and it's been a, a great performer. There's yeah. no doubt at the moment it is quite expensive, but it's one of these healthcare tech businesses that's done uh, incredibly well off its software as a service recurring revenue model. I think they yeah. get about 85% of their earnings or, or revenue, sorry, is recurring. 90% of their earnings come from sort of overseas. It's that kind of business where the US is a huge market for them, uh, where again, they've developed this imaging software um, in, in the radiology space, and they've gone around now to all the large hospitals and all the large clinics Gee, to try up, and get them. Look at that chart. It was a good call by you. Yeah, uh, it's just into 2018. I, I must admit, I'm not the only one that was on this. It's sort of one of those <laughs> ones that a lot of people were familiar with, but it continued to deliver. They've continued now to commercialise and win more and more contracts. I think only a couple of days ago they announced another fairly sizable contract win, and the customer base is sticky. Um, yeah. The retention rate for these sorts of software products is very, very high, but the market is also very, very large. So if this business can continue to deliver, win more and more contracts, it will slowly but surely start to justify uh, these valuations. But what they do is they basically take images, they can create heavy, deep 3D imaging yeah. for doctors and clinicians, they can create 2D images, um, videos, which helps mm -hmm. with the examination process for all sorts of of ailments. So for us, there is definitely merit in a company like this, which has done a lot of the heavy lifting and the hard work early on with its development. And now they can go out and try and 
get yeah. on as many hospitals as they possibly can and win as many contracts. So they're at the stage where every new contract, it's a much bigger margin because That's they've right. done the investment. They're at critical That's size. right. The margins are enormous on this sort of business, right. 40, 50%, um, and they'll continue to push higher the more contracts they win. Okay, so yes for ProMedicus. Um, Andrew? Well, Koshi, you said at the start of the program that me and Michael tend to lock horns, but we've, we've been in furious agreement um, so, so far. And, and, and I'm going to be in absolutely furious agreement with, with ProMedicus. But I'm going to do you one better, Michael. Um, I got on this at 85 cents. And oh. I'll tell you oh. about that. And hang on, uh, are, are you still there? Or did you sell I, out I, I, at $1.50? No, well, I did do some stupid sales, but no, largely held on. I started selling down when I got to about 25 last year. Wow. Um, and I, I bought some more. Idea off you. <laughs> Back in the I, old I days. It recently. I mean, this, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there as one of the best stocks on the ASX. Um, so it's got all of the attributes that, that Michael rightly t- talked about. But one of, the, one of the things that stands ProMedicus apart from a lot of these other tech companies is that it's managed to achieve all of this growth internally funded so there's been no capital raisings i mean these guys have been profitable for a long 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 time they pay a dividend um you know so this is this is a growth stock that that doesn't fit the mold of a lot of the ones that that you see there um and and the the the, whenever you talk about promedicus the naysayers and there's plenty of them will say it's ridiculously priced and if you look at the share price it's on a more than a 100 times pe so for a market that long-term has an average of about 16 or 17, it's insanely priced. But what you have to remember here is that with these businesses, the value is in the tail, so to speak. So they've got about 5% of a global market, despite this incredible growth that they have had. Um, I saw Morgan Stanley with the report not too long ago um, forecasting a 30% market capture just in the next three to four years or so. And I think longer term, there's, there's a bit of a structural shift in how these images are captured and stored and transmitted. So it's taking it away from GE and these big sort of equipment manufacturers. Um, and there's a whole other story there, but they've capitalized on that. And they are really best in breed. They've got the best reference sites. They've got incredible traction. I think that is imminently possible. So yes, it's ridiculously profitable, uh, ridiculously high in terms of a PE. But when your earnings, like per share earnings grew 50% last year, I think they can probably compound those earnings at 30% per annum for at least the next three to four to five years. Wow. And then at very high rates after that. So that, that P, as, the, as the E on the denominator comes up, you know, the, the PE comes down very, very, very rapidly. Yeah. So having it, said all of that. Yeah, so, even, so, at this, even at this price. So it's... Around 27 bucks at the moment. It's had a high in the last 12 months of 38, a low of 14. And as you say, the, the PE is 128. Uh, yeah, 30, 38 was pretty crazy. Um, and and uh, look, on Strawman, I've got the, my valuation is, is at, at 25, 40, something around there. Um, and again, as with Volpara, this is something that if you're a shareholder and you're a believer, the, the value and the money here is created over years. So good luck if you want to trade in and out and you can do that kind of thing. But this is for, this is for people who believe in that long-term story. And like all great companies, we could talk about Cochlear and CSL here perhaps, yeah. they always look expensive. 
And I think that this will still be trading on a pretty high multiple in five years time, except that the earnings will be materially higher at that point as well. So I do like it. But at this point, if I was to be fussy, I'd prefer to get it at less than 25 at $15. Not that long ago, it was a screaming bargain and I was happy to buy more. Yeah, 1450 it got down to in March. Um, all right. So, so yes, but on what? Below 25 bucks. Yep. Okay. I all agree. Right. You agree? Yeah, they've done a couple of share buybacks. One was announced fairly recently, which have also helped support the price. So I think right. you want to wait for that to maybe fade a little bit. Oh, okay. All right. Um, all right. Our next stock is uh, is Viva Energy. And of course, they they own the, the Shell brand uh, here in Australia. Um, is the exclusive licensee of it and all the products around the country. Uh, Andrew, what do you think of Viva? Again, it's just it's not that exciting. I mean, yes, they've got some very prominent brands in, in um, Shell and also the Liberty um, retail outlets as well. They provide jet fuel, a very critical part of the economy, you know, very um, uh, some really good assets there, I suppose. But look, it's a super capital intensive um, uh, type of business. They're exposed to a huge amount of external factors. I mean, look at look at what's happened recently. A 75% drop in the volume of jet fuels just recently. I, I suspect that's going to fall even further when, when that starts to wash through. Retail vo- fuel volumes are down, I think they said, by about 35%. They've got to contend with a, a volatile and, you know, um, always perplexing uh, global oil price as well. Um, so it, it's, it's a hard business to, to value for, for someone like me. Um, it's not an attractive industry. I, I dialed up the forecasts. And for people who do study this, the, the analysts were sort of saying, listen, we think in 2022, in another two years, these guys could be on about nine cents per share. Right. So oh. that's that's 18 times earnings that are two years away. Right. Which which is which is higher than where it is now. But, you know, we know a how accurate forecasts tend to be uh, in that space. But even if it is 100 percent accurate, you're still paying up for it in a in a pretty low quality business. You know this isn't high margin. Um, this this isn't this isn't something where it's a, it's a kind of business that whenever you do make money, you've got to you've got to take a lot of that profit and reinvest right. it back into the business just to maintain things. So it's it's not for me. Okay, all right, Michael. Uh, I'd agree. Um, simply, it's a very capital intensive business. They are the second uh, largest player in Australia behind Caltex, who is now called Ampol. So despite the fact that they've got, you know, 25% of the market, it's still a fiercely competitive industry. Um, and that can force you sometimes to put downward pressure on margins in order to retain that market share. So from our perspective, although it does trade on a lower multiple than Caltex, it's got probably in a better capital position after some divestment in recent years, it's just a, a very low growth business, despite the fact that they've got some infrastructure assets, they've got some fuel depots they've got some retail sites as well but there are so many variables that go into this company yeah. uh, there's the oil price there's the currency there's mm-hmm. the refining margins all that sort of stuff so it's in the too hard <clears throat> basket for us and we prefer to focus our attention okay. elsewhere for you today uh, mike has suggested an opinion on new farm it's uh, sort of helps farmers to protect their crops with against crop protection a specialist seed company as well um, right throughout Australia, New, Ze- New Zealand, Asia, Americas, and Europe. Um, Andrew, what do you think of New Farm? It, basically, the agri yeah. isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's going to be a bit of a cut and paste for me for for a lot of sort of agricultural companies. It's it's just tough, you know. And this isn't to have a go at new farms management. I'm sure they do an incredible job, but it's a very tough space. Um, extraordinarily lumpy, you know. We saw what happened. So, in in new farms case, shares doubled between 2014 and 2017, mm. and then we had this horrible drought, and then they halved again. You know that this. What what's 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 the next five years going to be like um, on the agricultural front? And this is this is ignoring um, any of the the operational sort of business specific kind of um, uh, challenges as well. There, so it's one that's going to be really really lumpy um, in its in its performance. You're looking at a business now that's trading on about 20 times next year's forecast earnings. So this year's um, probably a little bit unique. But when I looked at the forecast, it's it's not cheap. I think the I think the kind of people who should be involved in this are people who know the agricultural business well. I think people who understand the product that they do. It's often a lot of us sitting in Martin Place who have probably never been outside of Sydney in the last ten years, you know, we might be able to read a few financial statements. But I think you're too distant from a company yeah. like this. So I, I, it's it's horses for courses, and and I'm not a horse for this course. Okay. <laughs> um, Michael, I'm just checking if yeah. you've got R and Williams boots on the elastic side of ones. Or yeah, I've got no? a couple actually, but I don't. I'm not from the country. I'm one of those city country fake country boys. Um, but basically, we've got a few country-based clients, um, and they often say that that agricultural assets don't really fit well on the, the listed market just because of the cyclicality in earnings when it comes to ag businesses. It, it's very difficult to predict with any certainty. And you can look through history. There hasn't been many ag businesses in Australia listed on the ASX that have performed very well. Um, Webster, for instance, is one recently that got acquired. Once it was taken off market, once it was bid for, the price was well above the market price. And if you look at something like, I think it's Agco, AACO or something like yeah, yeah. that. Um, basically, the sum of their assets is a lot greater than what the market price trades for. So I think for some reason, whatever it is, um, perhaps Andrew touched upon it, all of us sitting here in Martin Place can't grasp it too well. Um, we just don't reflect the true value of ag assets well in, in this country. And, and for good reason, they, for something like New Farm, they did a large acquisition in Europe a couple of years ago, then they have, were faced with a drought in Australia. Um, they had supply chain issues coming from China all at the same time, which basically burnt through their working capital, left them with enormous amount of debt. So why would the markets value something like that on a very lofty multiple? Because there's just no certainty and there's just so many variables outside of the company's control. So for that reason, we're a no-go on, on ag businesses. Right. It, is, it is really tough because you talk about acts of God. That's right. Uh, that the coronavirus pandemic has been an act of God, if you like, that no one saw yeah. saw coming. Um, and businesses deal with that all the time, don't they? That's with, right. With the weather, the weather and and, and drought and flood and, oh. and fire. It's no and non-stop. And then obviously, what's happening? You have been having a bumpy year in Australia, but if they're also having a a bumpy year in Europe, say with the wheat product or places like Russia, all of a sudden you've got all this supply, but you're not getting much price for that product. Yeah. So yeah. there's just so many factors and it's just yeah. very difficult. You become a price taker rather than a setter. Yeah. Okay, um, not too distant from uh, from agriculture, but the food business, Freedom Food. Um, Michael, what do you reckon? Yeah. A major player in the, the health food space, Arnold's Farm. Um, they got a good deal with, uh, with Woolworths that they sell through yeah. as well. Freedom Foods sort of first came to our attention few years ago, probably five years ago now, because they were actually the, one of the major shareholders in A2 Milk. Ah. 
which has since gone on to bigger yeah. and stardom. great things. <laughs> stardom. And for Freedom Foods, as, as well as they're doing with the products that they've got now, if they had just retained their shareholding in A2 Milk, the share price of Freedom Foods would have done exponentially wow. better. Yeah. Um, they've got a lot of different brands. It's not a company that we're, we're that familiar with. Um, so for that reason, we'd probably sort of steer, steer clear. But look, the whole thing with these health foods, it's obviously got a, a lot of a tailwind. They've got an agreement to have one of their milk products put in Maccas. As you touched upon, they've got agreement to sell some of their products into Woolworths. But again, it's changing taste, changing fads, tasting, changing fashions. And a product that might be doing well for you now might not necessarily be doing well yeah. in the long term. So we don't like that aspect of this right. company. Okay. Andrew, what do you think of uh, Freedom Foods? Because when you look at the chart there, really hasn't bounced much off its lows, has it? Um, it's one of those stocks that hasn't been caught up in the momentum of the, of the upswing in, in the last six weeks or so. Yeah, they had an announcement recently saying things are actually going uh, pretty tough for them, which which might be a little bit of a surprise given all the sort of supermarket shopping we saw in, yeah. in you know the, um, the the panic buying sort of phase. But you know, Michael's one hundred percent right again. I mean, it's, it's a it's a, a business that just really has failed to 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 do much. I mean, the, the, the selling out of A two Milk was probably the biggest mistake in corporate uh, Australia's history. Uh, I mean that. That is something that I'm sure causes a lot of sleepless nights uh, in the boardroom. It, it, it is. It, um, I can talk a lot about it. I won't. Um, the, the thing is, I would I would be very careful here to say when you look at a lot of these businesses, you think, "Wow, they've got to deal with Maccas," or "Wow, they Woolies is selling their their gear." It's actually it's actually a massive double sided store because in that relationship. Guess who holds all the power? You know, it's not Freedom Food. So Woolies can turn around and go, um, I tell you what, we actually, we're still happy to stock you, but we want a better price. Now, what are you going to do in that scenario, right? So it's, it's, very, it's very unsurprising that a company like this trades on razor thin net margins. I think last year it was like 2%, maybe 2.5%. Um, and and you are you live and die by what someone at Woolies HQ decides to do, and they decide that they're going to replace you with one of their home branded products, or you know the new hotness has come in in terms of the specialty tuna that you've got or whatever. It's 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 very it's very uh, tough. Um, uh, a, a bit of a bit of excitement in in these stocks uh, in recent years because of the China potential. Michael was talking before about sort of the green and clean sort of aspect there. And yeah, it's super exciting, but that, that potential is not always lived up to. Uh, Blackmore is a classic example there of really something that's failed to materialize despite a, a bunch of hype. And I couldn't help but notice too, I need, there's probably a, a good explanation for this, but just having a quick look at Comsec, the, the PE is at 82 for, for something where the, the per share earnings are the same as where they were 10 years ago. So yeah. it's a pass. Um, next one, Michael, uh, is a suggestion from from Meg Cube, which is a big logistics company, yep. isn't it? In the container business, runs wharves and that's containers right. up and ships them around. So that's basically what they they're doing. Um, it's historically been a quite a fragmented industry, and Cube's come in and try to consolidate that a little bit. Um, the big concern for Cube in this environment is the rate of trade globally, and obviously that's oh, come to. Right. A big slowdown and, a, and a, not a halt, but it's definitely slowed down. And all the figures coming out from the major ports, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, um, are seeing big declines there. And the question is how quickly 
uh, can that all recover? Because global trade has taken a big hit. Yes, we're seeing lockdowns lifted and, and industry starting to get back to close to 100%, but it might take a lot of time there and it's difficult to know with any certainty. Uh, the thing with Cube is, again, it's a fairly capital intensive, old world style business. Um, and in a market where you know, you've got a lot of opportunity and a lot of different businesses across different sectors, it's hard to find a place for something like this. Uh, they do have a very good management team. I mean, Chris Corrigan obviously knows what he's doing when it comes to these sorts of companies. Um, but maybe he Because he, he was the original bloke that's who right. sorted out the wars, didn't he? He, was, he took on the warfies, basically, that's uh, it. to make them more efficient years ago. Yeah, well, so. to move them from the space that we're on today to try and get them to move down to places like Botany, Botany and, yeah. and, and Wollongong and and things like that, and Newcastle. And that took a lot of change at the time. But if you can get these things right, obviously you can extract value. And in that case, I yeah. think it was Patrick, the company That's right. at that time. So he's obviously looking to do a similar sort of thing using the expertise that he has. And for an infrastructure company with quite involved in heavy industry, such as container ships, Steve Doring, whatever it's called when it comes to the cars and, and those sorts of things, this company is probably one of the better ones. But Again, we're more aligned to capital light, new age businesses in the tech space, healthcare yeah. space, where you can extract enormous margins. Where from our perspective, if you don't really understand these operations and these business models too well, it can be quite complex. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting comment, Andrew, isn't it? Because yes, it is a clunky business. It's an old world business, but we're a trading nation and our trade surpluses are through the roof at the moment, and you'd think, oh, gee, we're selling more overseas than exporting. Maybe this is a business that'll do well out of it. Not yeah, look, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating, really. I mean, there's, there's a, a surprising disconnect often between what an industry does and what the players in that industry do. And the, the classic one that all the business students talk about is airlines, right? So, I mean, look at air... I, I, admittedly, this year's been a very uh, unique situation, but excluding that... I mean, air travel has exploded globally, and yet I don't think there's ever been an airline that's consistently made money there. So when you look at the value chain there, it's not always the obvious players that are extracting the value. Michael's right. Cube's been run very, very well. And if you take a, a broader view of this business, it's been consistently more or less growing its earnings um, over the years, but sort of a mid to upper single digit kind of rate, sort of six, seven, eight percent per year. Now, it's not terrible. And at the right price, you could probably do very well at that. Um, it's no surprise that that's pretty much what shareholder returns have been over that period uh, as well. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, a PE of 22, a 2.5% yield for something that at best is probably going to be growing at that kind of rate, it's not going to set the world on fire. Um, we've talked a lot, Michael and I have both mentioned this, this phrase, capital intense uh, business, um, a few times this show. And it's, it's worth just very quickly diving into what that means is that to set up this business, you have to chuck a lot of money into it. And then as you earn profit, um, not a lot of that profit is, is free cash flow that you get to distribute back to the owners of the business. A lot of it has to be plowed back in to maintain operations. So that's why people like Michael and I will talk about it in, in negative terms, because it's not like some of these software businesses that we've, we've been fawning over, because they are very capital light businesses and they, they have a whole bunch of other characteristics as well. So it's just, it, it, on the share market, it often comes up where people talk about companies that there's really nothing wrong with them per se, but you've got, your job as an investor is really to focus on the best 10 or 20 stocks and hold them in your portfolio. And, and yeah. that's the lens to look through here. Is Cube 
one of the top 20 stocks on the ASX? And I'd say no, but it's not a terrible company. All right. Andrew, is Technology One one of the top 20 stocks on the ASX that you should be holding? Of course, uh, Brisbane-based company, um, software as a service, IT company, big clients, big government clients going forward. Uh, has been a bit of a darling of the market, has it? It has, and it hasn't for good reason. Um, you know, you look at the the uh, earnings per share chart over the long term, and it's it's a perfect staircase. It's been going up. That share price chart there doesn't doesn't reflect what's been happening on an underlying sort of basis with the business. Um, it's it's uh, very very sticky revenues. Um, you know. For for a council to remove this enterprise software is like a spinal transplant. <laughs> spinal transplant. You you do not do it lightly, you know. So so that that gives you incredible pricing power. That's why they have twenty percent net margin. So that's after tax. That's after everything. Twenty percent twenty percent of of what is earned at the top line flows through to the bottom line as well. So it, it is it is a favorite for for all the right reasons. One thing that was very interesting, and I have to give another shout out here, Luke Winchester, who's uh, one of our top performing members on Strawman. In fact, he wrote a really great article on this yesterday. And what he's noticed is that there is a disconnect here between what's happening at the net profit line and what's happening from a free cash flow basis. These guys have recently changed their reporting um, standards. And so what they now do is they're capitalizing R&D. Now, they spent 20% of their revenues on R&D. And, and that's now not showing up in the profit and loss statement. So without getting too much into the weeds here, there's more at play here, which having since read that yesterday, it's actually made me think maybe things aren't as good as those statutory net profit figures look. I mean, credit to them. Um, up until very recently, there's been a very strong correlation between those two metrics. But just recently, it looks as though they've They've, uh, they've, they've, they've changed those standards to make things appear perhaps a little bit more attractive. So I'll let people search that out. We'll chuck it on the website so you can find it. But, but look, I'm, I'm probably being a bit picky here. They were pretty upfront with what they were doing and it's got an incredible history, incredible shareholder uh, value creation and, and it ticks a lot of boxes. Okay, so it ticks up for you as a buy. It's come back a bit, just under $9 now. I don't hold it at the moment, um, Koshi, and that's really just a, a, a function of a bit, of a bit of laziness on my part because I haven't done the due diligence. I'm the kind of person who likes to spend a few weeks on something before I even throw $1 into it. So right. it, I just haven't, I haven't done to that. But when you look at it at a high level, there's a lot to be impressed about. So it, it definitely makes it onto the short list for further research. Okay. Michael? Yeah, it's a business that we, we've liked in the past and owned in the past, but probably sold around 18 months ago. Um, so left some money on the table looking at that chart. Uh, we just felt that at the time they were having an issue with the Brisbane City Council, they had an issue with their services business, and some of their growth numbers had started to slow. So it trades on about 40, 50 times earnings, uh, and the growth rates it's delivering with its earnings and revenue isn't as appealing as perhaps some of the other tech businesses. So it's right. sort of a, 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 a competing priorities, if you like. Um, this is a company where you've got a lot of founder-led involvement, which is a positive aspect. It's been listed on the ASX for, oh, I think, probably 30 years or so. So when People talk about Australia having a tech industry that's in its infancy. Technology One is one that's been a laster for a long period of time and delivered very good metrics across the board. Good revenue growth, good earnings growth, uh, very good net margins and gross margins, low, no debt basically, good recurring revenue. So there's a lot to like about this business. It's just that at the moment, we just think there's better alternatives. Um, but what we do like is the fact that the business transitioned from a perpetual license model 
to the more software as a service yep. model. The growth in the software as a service part of the business is still very good, but it has slowed in recent halves. Um, for this particular year recently, they updated the market and they're gonna to have to have a very strong second half to meet their, to meet their targets, so to speak. So there's a, a bit going on with this company at the moment, but there's no doubt it's been definitely a big winner over a long period of time. And you probably have to back the company to continue to grow over time as well. But just given where we currently stand, I just think that there are better alternatives in the tech space, but a great business. Okay, and that tech space, technology one, Appam, mm -hmm. probably Altium, mm -hmm. are the three sort of similar businesses, yep. are they? Yeah, absolutely. Which one would you prefer? So we've been big in on Altium. We've had that the right. longest. Um, we've had Appen at different points. We haven't held that for probably 18 months as well. Right. Um, we've been more into things like Xero right. as well okay. in the accounting software platform. Yeah. And then there's an emerging business called Elmo, which is a software as a service model. It's a bit smaller, slightly more risk, but something that we, we quite like. Um, Andrew, uh, another tech, tech business, but this time in the wealth management, life insurance, funds administration industries. Uh, Jeff wants to know your opinion on Bravura uh, solutions. Yeah, Jeff's, Jeff's right to um, have his interest peaked here. These guys do wealth management software. So... Yeah. Uh, and funds administration, they've got clients like Fidelity, Prudential, Citigroup, Suncorp. Um, they haven't been on the market for too long, but man, they're doing really well. Um, you know, their, their growth has been really spectacular. Uh, dividends have been growing. Share price, you can't tell from that chart, but if you sort of take a broader context, I think shares are up about threefold since listing. Um, earnings growth has been very strong. Lovely strong balance sheet as well. Zero debt, a hundred million odd dollars in cash. So these guys are bulletproof. Right. You know, nothing's <laughs> nothing's going to happen to them uh, anytime uh, soon. I mean, that doesn't mean that earnings might not take a knock here and there. I mean, they are exposed to the success and health of of the underlying uh, customers, but but they're not going to go hand in cap to the banks or to the market to raise money anytime soon. Uh, I, I think one of the, the, the best metrics to just get a very quick read on the quality of a business and its pricing power is to look at those net margins. And these guys have about 15% in net margins as well. Now, you just don't, you know, Freedom Foods is on 2.5%. These guys are on 15%. And that just shows you that which one has the, mm. the best pricing power. So that's, that's definitely something that always catches my eye and, and warrants further investigation. Um, I know a good mate of mine, Joe Mager at Lakehouse uh, Funds Management. This is their biggest position. He's a very smart investor. And so if he's interested, usually that's that's a good proxy for me to to, uh, to take okay. a closer look. Um, so uh, and, and here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, despite all of these uh, wonderful characteristics, they're on track to grow their their net profit by 15 uh, or mid teens. I think they said this year they're trading on a P of 32 and a dividend yield of two and a half or two point two percent or something. So. It seems relatively cheap, given given what it's managed to achieve, its business characteristics and its forecast oh, growth. Okay. All right. Michael? It's not one we've ever invested in or looked into in too much detail, probably because it was a newer listing. We like to give these companies yeah. time to sort of deliver on the market, as they say in their pro, pro forma when they list, just to make sure they're actually delivering what they say. Um, interesting business. Um, it's a good way to gain exposure to financial services without the cyclicality of financial markets. And they've got a, large, a lot of large super fund clients, a lot of large UK-based um, clients as well. They often sign people up to long-term contracts, you know, five to 10 years, which gives them good recurring revenue. I think they've got 70, 80% of their revenue uh, in a recurring in nature, which is always a, a positive. 
um, very high margins, decent cash flow generation. Uh, relative to their industry, their margins are fairly competitive as well. And there's actually a number of sort of financial service platforms that have come to market in recent years, all in different spaces, things like NetWealth, things like Hub24, yes. things like yep. Premium. Uh, Vivera is an, another example of that. So there's obviously a natural momentum in this space. And I think it always pays to have a look at companies where there's a natural tailwind. And Vivera is probably one we have to do a bit more work on. I'm just not familiar with it enough to okay. give it a buy rating, but I right. certainly wouldn't be necessarily going out and, and short selling it or selling it down or anything okay. like that. All right. So uh, a tick from uh, Andrew on that and um, more, um, more interest there from Michael to, uh, to look at it a bit further. That's our, so that was Jeff sent through that suggested stock. So thank you, Jeff. Um, to Andrew Page from Strawman. Andrew, always good to catch up. And of course, people can go to the website and you'll chuck up those reports that you mentioned throughout the, uh, uh, throughout oh, yeah. the hour and, and have a look at what Strawman does. Um, great. Thanks, and, Koshi. And uh, Michael from Medallion, always great to have you on board with the call. Yeah, it's good to be back. See you next time. Yeah, see you then. All right, let's just recap on uh, the last five stocks. Uh, no for you farm, new farm, freedom foods and cube technology one, great business, um, but maybe going through a few changes and 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 slowing down. Um, um, Michael prefers a group called Elmo, which is worth a look. Um, and Bravura, um, uh, uh, very interested for a look from Andrew and uh, Michael going to do more work on it, but uh, not at this stage. So that's our 10 stocks. Thank you for uh, sending through the suggestions today. If you want to send some stocks you're interested through, uh, you can email the call at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter. Our handle is ausbiztv. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.